I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. I'm excited to be with you here the first day of the year. I'm going to be a little bit honest today. Um, I don't have a sermon series, but I do have a sermon series. I don't have a timetable. As you all know with me, that's kind of the, the norm uh, if it's your first time here, you've, I used to do this. You had four weeks of a sermon series, right? I've learned better than that. Because when I do that, you guys pay the price for it. We'll be here for four hours. Because I'll be honest with you, the last two weeks we've had off, and so I've just had some quiet time and, and been speaking with my dad when we were in Arkansas, and God just wasn't downloading anything into me. Just a question. So today's sermon is going to be titled The Question, but I'm going to get to what happened this morning because it, it just happened this morning. The question was, why am I here? I want you to write that down if you're a note taker. Why am I here? Because I believe it is the question that we should ask more often, but I believe it's the question that we are afforded the opportunity to ask January 1st of every year. And if you don't ask that question, then you're not positioning yourself to do what you're here to do. There's a whole lot of people this time of year that hitting the gym, right? Who are my people that go to the gym 12 months a year? Yeah. How ticked off are you in the first two weeks of the year? I know, y'all. I used to be there. You walk in and like, oh, all I want to do is a bench press and there's 15 people in line. You know what? I'm going to take the first two weeks of the year off because I know you won't be here on the third week. It's true. Watch your memberships. That's why they charge yearly memberships in January because they know you're going to pay for it and ain't going to use it. They make that money. So I think it should just be a sabbatical. Church people who go to the gym, you should just say every year, I'm just going to fast the gym and just show my obedience to the Lord for two weeks. I'm going to give the gym to them, knowing that I'll be back, but I'm going to do it in the name of the Lord, knowing that all those people are going to be out of the gym. I get to this because all these people going to the gym, why do you do it? Well, I need to lose weight. Okay, when you lose a pound, you can stop going to the gym because you did what you you wanted to do. What What you're here to do, you accomplished it, right? Like, if you don't know why you're doing something, you can put a very short time span on why you do something. Morgan and I went on a 75 days last year uh, working out and changing our lifestyle, and I lost like 
15 pounds. I was at my playing weight, two, or 175. It wasn't exactly where I needed to be, but I was in the right direction. And man, I hit that and I said, whew, that's good. I measured myself while I was at home in Christmas time, and I'm not in playing weight anymore. <laughs> I have moved up a ladder, and I am not in position to fight dudes that at that weight. So I got to get back in. But it's a lifestyle change. And I begin to think about that. Why, yesterday when I was working out, this question comes back to me. I was out running and doing some push-ups and set-ups, and I asked myself, why am I here? If you go for your checkup, there's a lot of people at first of the year, they go for their yearly checkup. You should ask yourself in that doc, why am I here? Am I just here to be told that I'm okay? Because the moment you may hear that or you're, you're worried about one thing, maybe your, your family is diabetic. So all you're listening is for that one thing. The moment you hear, oh, your glucose levels are good, you turn it all off and you don't hear that your blood pressure is a little high. I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but um, on Instagram I posted, I heard a young man on ESPN say this. He said, too many people are looking for confirmation instead of information. In other words, the moment you get what you need to confirm what you already believe, you stop looking. But he said, when you look for information then it may very well change what you're trying to confirm. That's the purpose of the word if you really get down to it. If you go to be confirmed in what you want to believe, you can go in that word and find it and quit looking. But when you go with the intent of finding information, it will change you. It has to. Because who you are right now is not 100% aligned with that. And the moment you realize that, that's when you begin to change why you do what you do. So we go to the gym, we do all these things, but why am I here? So then I begin to question, even in this moment, why am I here? And I want you to think about this from your lens, from your perspective, from your seat right here, right now. Why am I here? And I want you to begin to think of it from multiple perspectives. If you have a role, if you have a job, why am I here? If you have kids, then you're a parent. Why am I here? If you're in a marriage, then you look at that person across the bed from you and you say, why am I here? Suddenly your focus begins to shift because you're not doing it for me, but I've been put here for a purpose for those around me. See, the reason I'm here today is not for me. The moments I get alone with him is for me. When I stand on this pulpit, it's for you. That's why I'm here. Now, however, comma, when I stand in a conversation, Joey, if I sit and have a conversation with you, I'm there for me and you. See, that's the power of conversation, is the value of both people there. I have understood whoever I'm having a conversation with, my kids or me and Gary, whoever it is, I have something to gain and I have something to give. There's a difference in where we're at. The moment I step up here, except for the moments that we share the mic and all that, it's not for me. So then, what am I doing to be what I'm supposed to be in this moment for you? See, it changes how you prepare, how you respond when you understand that. When you understand that I'm here in this marriage and it ain't for me, then I'm positioning myself, I'm gaining, I'm doing everything I can for that person. And I'm praying to God that she's doing the same thing for me. 
And if she's not, I'm hoping that my life as a testimony of shifting and changing and doing that for her will be an invitation for her to do the same. This all making sense? The why am I here is a huge question that we don't ask enough. So when I walked into 2023, I said, I think we have to begin to ask this question more often. If I have a beat in my chest, every morning I wake up, every breath in my lung, every morning when I roll out of bed, my first question should be, why am I here today? It could be as simple as when I walk into the grocery store, why am I here? Well, I got to get this and this and this. But we're going to talk more over the coming weeks because I believe this why I'm here, why I am here, is a question that begins us to position a kingdom mindset. I've had a lot of thoughts about what I want to preach on going into the new year. We've talked about it. Wendy, you and I were talking about the gifts and the spirit and all the things. And today, this morning, I got up early and was sitting there and I was like, God, why haven't you given me anything to preach today? Why am I here? Why am I here? I got a three-hour crash course on kingdom. And I'm just going to wade in a little bit with y'all today to get y'all moving in the right direction because if I let you drink from the fire hose I drank from this morning, we're going to be here all week. I'm telling you, I think this is the place, and this is what Jesus said from the moment he began to start in his ministry We'll talk about the scripture today. We're getting into scripture. I'm not just up here talking your ear off. He said the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is right in front of you. How I'm about to do business in the next three years of my life is the establishment of the kingdom I tried to put in the earth through you, and you couldn't do it, so watch me. I am going to be the kingdom. Y'all with me? Let's go. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 20, because in order to understand the kingdom, first and foremost, you need to understand who you are. See, this is the problem, I think, in Christianity. We talk about who Jesus was and all this, but we don't talk about our role in this and what this looks like. And there's a word that's used in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to read verses 16 through 21. Excuse me. First Corinthians. I don't know why I wrote second Corinthians. No, it is. Give me a second. See, this is where I was this morning. I was just all in it. Okay. Second Corinthians five. We're gonna read sixteen through twenty-one. Now, if you if your Bible has headings, depending on what Bible you have. ESV has headings. This whole passage of Scripture is talking about the ministry of reconciliation. And I think you have to understand what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is restoration. And if this is being afforded, that he's calling people to be operating, and this is the definition of the gospel, is the ministry of reconciliation, then it's a restoration or an invitation into who you were made to be. A restoration of initial purpose. Not of something new, it's something inside of you. The image you were created in, Jesus came to reconcile you to that. So in 5.16, we're going to start. 
It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. See, this is that moment that we, we talk about if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that he, was, that he arose from the dead, then you will be saved. This is the further declaration of that and an invitation to begin to see people differently in the same regard. If I understand he's Lord and he was raised from the grave right here, I don't see him according to the flesh and what he did in flesh anymore. I receive him and see him for who he is. Then, in the same way, Mary Magdalene, we just talked about this on Christmas Eve, when she saw who he was and he was who he said he was, then now as a result, she was who he said she was. Does that make sense? A lot of he said, she said. See, the moment you meet Jesus, Jesus doesn't speak to you the same way everybody else has. Every conversation he had, he looked through sin, he looked through your mistakes, and he said, I see you because I made you. And that's what I'm going to speak to. I'm not going to speak to 19-year-old Joey who did some things. I'm going to speak to before she even took a breath, Joey, because that's who I created. And in that moment... Well, if he's who he said he was, and I believe that, then I am saved because I am who he said I was. Then that requires me to operate differently. I'm not going to operate the way I've been doing all these years, operating out of shame and disappointment and trying to run from mistakes. I am different because he's seen something different in me. Now I have to operate differently because of it. That's the beauty of reconciliation. It changes you. It changes how you respond. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is. Say, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, I'm just going to let that... Because the ministry of reconciliation is not counting their trespasses against them. That sounds like the language of the church, though, doesn't it? How many of you experience someone counting your trespasses against you? Now we're going to be even more honest. How many of you have counted someone's trespasses against them. My hand's raised first, so why am I here? Am I here to count trespasses or am I here to reconcile? So what this is saying is counting someone's trespasses will not reconcile them. Seeing them the way they were made will reconcile them, will invite them into something better. Therefore, excuse me, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That is right there together, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, this is the word I want you to hear as we talk about kingdom, because this is who we are. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that, there's those two words. I've already penciled it down. I'm writing the book this year, folks. So that. It is everything I read. It is what the church is supposed to be doing. Jesus did what he did so that. God did what he did for you so that. You have a, you have a purpose. Everything you went through positioned you so that. So here we are. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does not say we might become the righteousness in ourselves. It says in him. So self righteous? Mm -mm. Now I want to take you. So we have righteousness. I want you to hold on to that word. We're going to go to Matthew 6. 3.33, I have just, I think I had this the last scripture I'm going to have on the screen for those of you who didn't bring a Bible. The rest of the way, you're just going to have to trust me. I encourage you to write these down, the ones I don't have on the screen, because I want you to go and read them. Don't take me at my word. Don't take my revelation of this, because sometimes you go read it, and where you're at, God will speak to you a different way. Matthew 6.33 this is a, a very powerful moment where he's talking, I, I believe, kingdom, where we're going to go over five and six because I believe five, six, and seven, what Jesus is really doing is laying the foundation for the kingdom. What he wanted, the Ten Commandments, what he wanted the law to really establish that failed, that fell short, that became, ugh, when the heart of it, the foundation, what he was trying to establish, the kingdom principles were there. Because he, he's talking to them, um, he says, therefore, in, in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. See, that's the problem with the where am I. We become, our, rev, our uh, resolutions are all based off what we eat, what we drink, what we do. He said, don't worry about that because if I can get you positioned into why you're here, it changes what you do. Then you begin to go to the gym. Why? Because I want to add five years onto my life because I'm here for a reason and I need five more years to do it best. I'm in this job of mopping floors because he's got me here, right here, right now. Doesn't mean I got to stay here, but tomorrow when I go mop that floor, I'm going to do it with an excellence. I'm going to do it with the right heart because I don't know who I'm going to walk in the place of tomorrow that's hurt, broken. It may be the CEO of the business, but if I get a moment in the same bathroom in the same space with him and my hope, my joy can bring something different to the atmosphere and open me up, little broom sweeper, to the CEO of the company and let him know that Jesus sees him and loves him and he can be reconciled, that's going to change my position, not because of what I did, but because of how I did it. This is kingdom citizenship. Okay, just preaching. I told you, this is where God had me. I was like, God, how do I rein this in and just talk about where we're going today? 5.16, or excuse me, not 5.16, 6.33, thank you. 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So right there we see a kingdom that's associated with righteousness. 
So if I'm in the kingdom, if I've been called as a citizen of God, if I've dedicated and devoted and gave my life to Christ, see, we say that very flippantly. I gave my life to Christ. Did you? Because I don't see his kingdom in you. But you wear that title so the world don't even know what his kingdom looks like. Because the citizens out here wiling out, doing whatever they want in the name of the Lord. And the kingdom don't even know who they are. I'm going to read three or two other quick scriptures, Matthew 3, 1 and 2, to show you the trajectory of what the ministry of Jesus. So John the Baptist came to foretell of Jesus. So in Matthew 3, 1 and 2, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus in Matthew 4, 17. This was after the temptation, which we're going to talk about in a few uh, over the next coming weeks. Matthew 4, 17, after he comes out of the temptation, it says he goes away when he hears John the Baptist has been arrested. It says he withdrew, and in that time, that moment, after that, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the first thing you have to understand is the kingdom of God at this point before Jesus stepped on this earth was Israel. Everything you see in the Old Testament, from Abraham on, I'm commissioning a nation, a kingdom, my children to go and impact the world around them. The problem is they just couldn't get right. Jeremiah 29, 11, if you go back, I didn't tab my Bible. Sorry, I'm not a scholar. I know exactly what page it's on. So starting in verse 10, Jeremiah, he's talking to the children of Israel, the nation, the kingdom of Israel, God's kingdom in this moment on earth who have been exiled to Babylon. And I'm reading a book now called Thriving in Babylon. I got invited into this group of pastors to read this book together. And it's all about Daniel's story. So everybody knows Daniel, right? Lion's Den, and then the three Hebrew, Hebrew children in the furnace. And we use those and like, man, God wants to take you out of your situations. You need to read the story of Daniel a little bit more deeper. It is not all prophecy and lion defeating. Babylon, y'all think America's bad? And it is. If you didn't watch the news on Friday, a first grader shot his teacher in Newport News. Are you kidding me? And the moment, and we talked about this for a month, so y'all better not have seen that on the news and said, oh, Lord, this is a hopeless situation, because we talked about that. Why am I here? To bring hope to hopeless situations. Yes, that is hopeless, but I, but I have hope in me that I can somehow bring hope. Went to a school concert for my girls over at Greenbrier Middle the other night, and they're their principal was sitting right at the door, and I walked in. God said, you better talk to him. I said, well, I got to get in the car. You better talk to him. And I said, Mr. Hyder, I'm a pastor right down the street. How can I help you? 
I don't want to come preach at your school. I want to come help you in any way you need help. Because how can I be in your community and not be doing community with you? He said, come talk to me. I'm the same way. I go about my business. I don't want to do that. I, got, I can do this, this, and this. And God said, you better do it. Because it's time to bring hope to hopeless situations. So in this place, Babylon, the worst of the worst. There is a reason when you go to Revelation, it's talking about the worst kingdom in the world. It refers to Babylon, the new Babylon. Go check Babylon. When they used to take places over, they would exile you. They would take you out of your country, move you to another because they wanted to completely take you away from what you know. And then they begin to incorporate everything they were into you. Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. He rolled up into Jerusalem, into the temple, took out all the things that represented God, and then went and put them in his God's house. I'm not only going to take your God, I'm going to go make your God worship my God. And if you don't understand kingdom principle, you don't understand what God was trying to do, you're like, God, why did you allow that to happen? Are you less than Nebuchadnezzar's gods? Nope, I got a time. Check Jeremiah. I told him they were going to be there for 70 years. Then I'm going to come get them. See, where am I? We can get so, oh God, why am I here? And we miss moments of voices like Jeremiah. He's like, just 70 years. But what did he tell them to do prior to 29.10? He said, go and thrive. Go and take wives. Go and begin to be a blessing to the place that's put you there. Operate differently. Not go in there and change them into your country. Go and be who I made you to be. Go and be an ambassador. But then we see how they've messed it up. So right in Jeremiah 29, 10, it, he talks when you seek with me with all my heart. But just a little bit further over in Jeremiah 38, 30 and 8, it says, and it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord host, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. Now we see this from what he's talking about is Babylon's hold, but it is bigger than that. And I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. This is a declaration of who Jesus is. This is a messianic prophecy of Jesus to come and a declaration that more than just the Jewish people will worship and serve him. So this is a kingdom expansion moment. Israel has been the kingdom up to this moment, but the moment Jesus comes, I'm expanding the kingdom. It's going to be bigger, which is, I believe, speaks to the original intent of Israel. I want you to be a nation that blesses because the moment nations outside of you begin to experience who you are and why you're here, they're going to want to be a part of you. It wasn't so you could just be on, oh, look at me, I'm a city on a hill. So now we get into ambassadorship. I want to get into this word. So an ambassador is someone that's commissioned. I got, okay, 20 minutes. An ambassador is somebody that's commissioned by a country. So if, as America, if we send ambassadors out, ambassadors are so connected to who we are that we can trust to send them into another country and they carry 
an amount of an authority. But here's where we've messed it up as the church. We got a lot of people roaming around here using words like power and authority. God's given me power and authority. No, God still has power and authority. An ambassador has no other authority than what the authority has allowed them to operate in. In other words, the ambassador don't get to go over there and do whatever they want. They still got to go to the head to say, here's what we are going to do. Ambassadors are a part of a we, not a me. Although you're in a place not with the head, you better be connected through community and relationship to make sure you're tagged in to the heart and the vision by what you want to do, what he wants to do. So now when we understand ambassadors from that perspective, I've got to understand through reconciliation, what he's challenging me is to step into a kingdom of heaven mindset. There's only two kingdoms, heaven and hell. Ephesians 6 says, flesh and blood's not your enemy. It's the powers and the principalities of the air. So, I think we have to first realize that America is not a kingdom, but two kingdoms are warring for it. So then, an ambassador, what kingdom am I a part of? So if I wanted to be an ambassador, first off, I began to look this up. Like if, I, like if you wanted to be an ambassador for the United States, what would you have to do? You would go through a program that really gets in you everything this country is and believes. Because what they want is somebody who can go into another country and what they believe and who they are doesn't affect who you are. See, this is the problem with Christian ambassadors in the world we live in. We got too many people that are going into other places and it's changing that. A true ambassador of Christ, what you experience will never change this. This is the manifest. This is what God said. And then you walk into a situation like, well, I'm operating here, so, well, yeah, I don't like that. <sighs> then if we, if we leave the place we're being an ambassador to and we go back to the kingdom, they're going to be like, this is a declaration of what Jesus said. There have been those of you that have been doing things in my name that on the last day they're going to come to me and he's going to say, depart from me because I know you not. Because although I sent you out as an ambassador, you come back and you don't look nothing like me. That's hard preaching, but it's truth. You can't take what you want out of the Bible and make it just, ah, oh, look, a swan. There's times you're going to get your feet stepped on. This thing has to begin to change you because if he can trust you as an ambassador to reconcile you, first, your testimony that we talked about in worship today changes atmospheres because people notice something different about you, the way you operate as an ambassador. So ambassadors, first, this is something that you've got to understand. They, when they go to another country, they have an embassy. An embassy is foreign, is a Foreign soil on foreign soil. So if you go to the embassy in the United Kingdom, the United States embassy, that is United States territory. It is governed by, not the king, it is governed by the president of the United States. Regardless of what happens, this is why in countries where you see these 
These uproars and these people who are out operating in the country, when everything goes awry, they retreat back to their sovereign territory within territory. So what does an embassy look like for Christians? Put your hand on yourself. This is your embassy. It ain't your house. It ain't where you live. This is your embassy. This is where you got to make sure there is sovereign territory. When I walk in and anywhere I sit, there is sovereign territory of the kingdom of heaven, no matter what kingdom I walk into. If I'm letting the kingdom I'm setting in affect the kingdom inside me, this is no longer sovereign territory governed by the king. It's governed by me or the king of this world. This is why this Christian walk is important. This is why we have to be careful what we say and what we do and the impact we make because we're fighting battles. And before you know it, we are fighting battles for the opposite team because it makes us feel good. Second thing, this is one thing I did not know about an embassy or about, not about, an, about an ambassador. An ambassador must be approved by the foreign government they're going into. If you want to be an ambassador to France for the United States, you don't just say, I'm going to France. Nope. France's government has to approve of you and your character that you can come in and operate as a United States citizen without threatening who they are. Let me give you some scripture. Romans 14, 18, whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. This is the problem within the church today. There's too many Christian ambassadors that ain't approved to walk into anywhere. Why? Because I walk in like a United States, I'm going to ambassador, I'm a United States. I don't care who you are, I'm right, you're wrong. That ain't getting approved by nobody. That is the power of relationship. If I want to go into a foreign country, I need to have relationship with, with them first to let them know they're just as valuable as I am. That's why I'm saying we're, we're attacking this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, but we're attacking the wrong people. We've been called to make a difference in those lives. but there is no acceptance of us. Nobody wants us there. When we walk around and we wound people with their transgressions, when we remind them of their brokenness, when we tell them to speak our language, when we tell them to follow our customs. I hope I'm giving to you this to you in a practical sense today so you can understand it from a kingdom sense. I'm hoping you're hearing what you need so you can heed it instead of stop listening because it ain't what you want to hear. Because when you walk into a place, it should not change you. And if it, if it almost does, if you get in that place and you feel that struggle, guess what? If I'm an ambassador and I'm in a country and some things around me begin to change me, I need to go back to the kingdom I came out of and say what's right, what's wrong, because I'm being affected emotionally. Somebody else needs to go there because I'm being affected by it. 
This is why some people cannot minister in their families because there's an emotion attached to it. If you were a citizen of another country, you came over here to be a citizen of America, and then you got sent back to the same country, guess what? There's going to be an emotional attachment to who you were that can affect who you are. Y'all better write that down. It does not mean that you cannot go back to the place you, you came out of, but you better be so substantiated in who you are now that that won't. And be open enough that when you feel it affecting you, you go back to the truth instead of what mommy and daddy said, instead of what your friend said. We're just scratching the surface today. We may go 52 weeks kingdom. Third thing, ambassadors do three things. First, they protect citizens of their country. If there's a citizen of your country in that country they're assigned to, they can find refuge in you. It's amazing how many Christians can't find refuge with other Christians. If you don't know about it, you don't watch enough social media and YouTube. I'm about to do an episode on my podcast. I know I got a podcast. Whatever. I'm about to do an episode about how many Christians preach Christians into hell. Because it is the language of the church. We want to sit around like, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, because you don't believe like I do. Kingdom citizens can't even get on the same page. And we're trying to kick people out of the kingdom. When only one's got the ability to kick somebody out the kingdom. And we have to understand he has that ability because there's going to be some of y'all that did this in my name and you're going to get to me and say, I don't know you. Why? Because the kingdom changed you. That's just scripture. Text citizen. Second is support prosperity. It's all Jeremiah. It's what he was telling them. I want you to go and I want you to be pro woo, prosperous in Babylon so that Babylon is prosperous because if they can realize that God's been there all the time and he is making them prosperous, if he's blessing them through the people they have in exile, they may understand the heart of the God who wants them as his own. If he can trust you to put you in situations and be a blessing to people who don't deserve it, people who have wronged you, and you still forgive them, that's the purpose of forgiveness because it aligns you with the heart of the Father. Those are the people, sometimes the ones that you're supposed to forgive are the ones you're supposed to be a blessing to. If you can't forgive them, you cannot bless them. Therefore, you've limited your ability to operate as a kingdom citizen in a kingdom that needs you. God wants us to be prosperous. Now that doesn't mean like God wants you to have a Rolls Royce. God wants you to have three-story house. You know what? God probably does want some people to have a three-story house because he knows their hearts aligned to fill it with families who don't have a home. But he ain't going to give a three-story house to a, single or to a couple with no kids that just trying to have a bigger entertainment center. If you align yourself with God, he will bless you in order to, so that you will be a blessing to others. You ain't got $5 in your pocket. 
It's because you got so that you can bless $4 worth of people because that's all you're looking for. Third thing, work for peace. Oof. What does that look like? What's the scripture we just talked about over the last month? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, as an investor of the kingdom of heaven, you are not supposed to go and preach hopelessness to a place of hopelessness. You are supposed to go and provide hope and peace to a place that does not have it. Because the moment they realize that you have something that they don't have, they'll no longer want to reside there. They're going to want to go back to the place that you reside and change a world for the glory of God. I read an article. I don't even have my phone up here. No, do I? Come over here. Okay, six minutes. We're going to finish with this. Y'all know me. I love just the practical side of things, like how to be a better ambassador. I looked that up. Well, I said I did, and now I don't have it, so maybe God didn't want to read it. Here we go. Skills for success as an ambassador. This is how we get better. First one is Communication. One of the most important parts of diplomacy is effective verbal and written communication. Sorry, this is not out of a chapter of the Bible. If that's what you need is all biblical teaching, I believe there's practical teaching that validates what that says. As ambassadors meet with government officials in different nations, it's often important for them to show proper respect and be able to convey information accurately in varied cultural contexts. See, there's people in the church can't go minister in other contexts of cultures. However, comma, if I'm ministering there, I'm not letting those cultures change my kingdom citizenship. I'm communicating to them. This is why Jesus was so powerful as a communicator. He could walk into the room with a sinner and he would speak to them, not above them. He would not say, you got to get this high to ride this ride. He said, I'm going to get on your level and I'm going to speak to you because I value you. For an ambassador, it's typically a requirement to communicate in multiple languages. See, people need you to speak their language. How disrespectful it is if you go to another country and you require them to speak English. Oh, I'm not going to learn Spanish. I know I came to Spain and see your culture, but you need to speak my language. You need to live by my rules. How disrespectful is that? Then why do we think when we become Christians that we can go out into the world and expect them to speak our language, expect them to follow our rules? It's no different. Now, I'm not saying you go out there and you line up 15 shots with them. <laughs> I'm just trying to speak their language. I'm going to the club with them. There's a wisdom that has to come when you know what is and what is not required of you. But we've put some stuff on some people and made you, well, you have to have a suit and a tie if you're ever going to do ministry. You know what? You can go ministry to minister to people in suit and tie. I'm going to put this on and I'm going to go rock with somebody. I can sit down over a cup of coffee and I can talk with you because I look like you. I'm sitting, this don't change my Christianity because I ain't got a suit and tie on. 
But I've realized I can't change people in suit and ties. My dad ministers to people that I can't. Why? Because this beard and this shirt probably makes me a place I can't minister to them. And I had to come to terms with, I ain't called to minister to you. I'm not an ambassador in your country. And I'm okay with that. Last year, I got told I preached to the church and uh, the bishop of their conference was there. And after he said, man, that dude preached a sermon. You tell him he gets a suit and a razor and I got a church. And I said, your church ain't for me. Because I know who I am. That's who I am. And I know what countries I've been called to. We preaching today? Adaptability. This is where you have to be careful. There's places you can adapt. There's places you cannot. Ambassadors usually live in a foreign country during their assignment and may conduct daily work tasks in many regions. If they can adapt to a host country's culture, customs, and policies, they can make a good impression on its citizens and serve as an effective representative of their own nation. They're also likely to experience unexpected situations and challenges which may be easier to navigate if they're flexible and can remain calm in an unfamiliar location. You can be ministered to in a lot of places if you just listen. Somebody needs to hear that today. Can you remain calm in an uncomfortable situation? Why? Because it will minister the fact of who you are called by. Relationship building. And the last one is leadership. It's important for an ambassador to have leadership skills as they can earn the trust of these individuals and better address their needs. Here's the last two I want to talk about. Empathy. We just talked about two weeks ago about this after-school Satan club that offered empathy. Why is it offering empathy? Because the church isn't offering empathy. The moment we don't do and operate in what we're called to, the other kingdom begins to operate or offer a counterfeit version of it. But you know what? I'm not scared of that. Because the moment we begin to operate in godly empathy, and he's got empathy or you wouldn't be here today. Jesus would have never did what he did if he wasn't empathetic for you and what you were going to do. He wouldn't have sent somebody along the way to say, you need to get your head out of your hind parts. It's when your testimony of empathy, a God who empathized with you and met you where you were and pulled you out, invited you into something better. When you begin to minister in that place of empathy, I don't care what kind of empathy the world has offered, it will pale in comparison to the real deal. People who are designed to pick apart counterfeit bills, they don't send them to a school where they look at counterfeit bills to identify them. They send them to a place where they look at real $100 bills. Then they identify what it is. That way, the moment they see a counterfeit, they realize it's not the real thing. The moment the church becomes genuine of what that word says, and it becomes different in the way we respond and react, we begin to heed the word and live differently. When somebody's offered with a chance of a counterfeit or the real thing, there'll be no doubt in their mind what's real and what's not. The last word, or the last one is knowledge of current events. I'm not saying go read the news because you can get on the news channel and you can get whatever you want depending on what you're listening to. But you better be aware of what's going on around you. But here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. We're going to end on this. I've prayed for a discernment. 
that God, no matter what I'm listening to, if I'm watching CNN news or I'm watching Fox news, let me see through the mess. Let me hear what's actually going on instead of what somebody's telling me is going on. Let me stop looking for confirmation and find that information. Maybe I should, if I've been a CNN person, if that's where I've got all my news, maybe I should flip on Fox News because maybe I could discern some information that the other one wasn't giving me. Maybe I'll be challenged to see it through a different lens to realize the hurt that's on the other side of the aisle. Because I can't empathize with them in their current situation if I've only worried about mine. See, this is where kingdom citizens begin to operate differently. The hopelessness around me doesn't change me. Because I'm an embassy. And the hope that I have is inside me. And if I can move back into this place with this Holy Spirit, he's going to do everything he can to connect me to the source and help me respond and react when I walk outside the gates of my embassy. Over the next couple of weeks, however long, we're going to get into kingdom. Because I think that's where we have to begin to thrive. We have to understand the power. If Jesus preached it as much as he did, then we have to understand it's important for us to learn how, not only to operate it, but to be it. Salvation is the first step. Seeking righteousness is that first step. But when you're seeking it, why am I here? Why am I coming to church? Why am I on my knees in prayer? Why am I reading the Bible? If you don't ask that question about those things, I guarantee you're not asking about the other things, then you'll never know why. Who's ready to make a difference in your schools, in your homes, in your families? Who's ready to be an ambassador in the kingdoms you're being called to? Father, I thank you today for a group of people who aren't afraid to ask why. I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray that you give us direction. I pray that we tap into the heart of your kingdom, the desires of your kingdom, the wisdom of your kingdom, so that we can operate differently. So the lives that we lead begin to demonstrate who you are, who you've been to us, and the hope that lies in you. Father, I'm thankful that you don't change. I pray that you would position my heart to tap into that. That as I get closer to you, the world around me stops seeing me and starts seeing you. Let my life be a reflection of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.